O God of infinite love and power, we gather together on this Good Friday to reflect on the passion of Christ. We are utterly humbled in the presence of such love and mercy. Open our hearts this day to the goodness of Good Friday and fill us with your love and your spirit. Remove from us all sin. Offer us anew the life in Christ that makes all things new. Amen. I invite you to hear the story of the crucifixion from Luke's Gospel, the 23rd chapter. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. The criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened to the cross above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. There is a uniqueness in Luke's telling of the story of Jesus' final hours that is not exactly like the narrative found in the other Gospels. So for our focus on this Good Friday, I invite you to reflect on the final statement of Jesus from the cross. Because in these profound words, there is a message for us. Luke 23, beginning with verse 44, says, by now it was noon, the whole earth became dark, the darkness lasting three hours, a total blackout. The temple curtain split right down the middle. Jesus called out loudly, Father, I place my life in your hands. And then he breathed his last. This was Jesus' final prayer to God. As we can see when we read the story of Jesus' life, several of his final words were actually prayers. 
His first words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then there was his cry for mercy. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And now there is this final prayer. Father, I place my life in your hands. Not only was this a prayer to God, like, but like many of Jesus' other prayers, uh, it was also a quotation from Scripture. These final words of Jesus from the cross come from Psalm 31, the first five verses, which says, O Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me, for I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. Now, looking at Jesus' words in the context of the psalm, we see that this is not Jesus giving up, but once again giving himself over to his Father. These are words of faith, words of trust in God. Even in this moment of death, Jesus was looking to God to be his rock and his refuge and a strong fortress to save. This is a final prayer of complete and utter faith in God the Father. Now there are those who believe that sometime after David wrote Psalm 31, it became a nightly prayer taught to children by their parents, much the way uh, we might teach our children to pray, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And so if this was a prayer taught to children, Here we see that in a moment of incredible pain and anguish, Jesus is holding on to one of the most basic foundations of our faith, the simple truths that we learn as children. My mother is 93 years old and currently living in an assisted living facility in Grand Rapids that specializes in memory care. When I'm there visiting her, it's amazing to see that while some of the memories, especially the short-term memories of these residents, have deteriorated, the basic truths that they learned as children remain. When they gather for worship services each week, not many of the uh, residents can focus on a long sermon, but they love to sing and they can all sing Jesus Loves Me and dozens of other old hymns of the church, all from memory. And while some of the scripture lessons might pass right over them, when the chaplain reads, for example, the familiar words of some scripture passages like Psalm 23, many will just join in saying it right along with him, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The point is we remember the basic truths that we learn when we're young. We remember those simple prayers we said at bedtime or mealtime, and the same is true of Jesus. He remembered the simple prayers that Mary and Joseph taught him as a child. And in his darkest moment, that's what he prayed. Father, I place 
my life in your hands. It might be a simple prayer, faith and trust, but it is also a powerful prayer. Because Jesus is teaching us that in our darkest moments, we can continue to trust God. When everything seems lost, when things seem hopeless, we can trust God when we're facing the reality of sin or sorrow or fear or failure, we can place our lives in the hands of God. There's hardly a day goes by anymore when I'm not feeling a little overwhelmed because of the great pain and sorrow and brokenness and sin I see in the world around us. The news, the social media is filled with stories that provoke deep compassion within me for those who are struggling to find forgiveness or to find freedom or healing or hope. And as people who are compassionate and empathetic, you know what I'm talking about. I trust that you will maybe take a moment tonight to reflect on your own brokenness and sin, as well as the struggles of those close to you. And instead of just letting those feelings go, be praying for one another and encouraging one another. Because in doing so, you will be people who are striving to do what Jesus did in this moment on the cross, placing his heart and his life in the hands of God, and that encourages me and that inspires me and that fills me with hope. While we are a broken people, we are a broken people of faith who trust God in the darkest hours of our life. And while we may be sinners, we are sinners who seek forgiveness every day. And we can pray, Father, I place my life in your hands. And when we face the challenges related to sickness or suffering, we can pray, Father, I place my life in your hands. When we face what seems to be an impossible situation or an insurmountable obstacle, we can pray, Father, I place my life in your hands. When things at work or at home or in our relationships are uh, are out of control, we can pray, Father, I place my life in your hands. When we feel lost and just don't know where to turn, we can pray, Father, I place my life in your hands. I want to to invite you tonight to do something for me, and I'm going to ask you just for a, a few seconds to close your eyes and to think about whatever is going on in your own life. Maybe it's the sin that seems too strong to overcome. Maybe it's the problems that seem to have no answer. Maybe it's that desperate situation that really seems to have no hopeful outcome. I want us to take just a moment of silence and invite you to just reflect on those situations in your life and then invite you to pray this prayer of Jesus. Father, I place my life in your hands. Let's do that. Take a moment. You see, this was not just a prayer for Jesus at the end of his life. 
This was a statement about how Jesus lived his life. I want to take you back to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. The Bible says in Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter, that Jesus was taken into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and then was tempted by Satan. And what Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to do was to follow his own path in life instead of uh, following God's way. Satan tempted Jesus to turn some stones into bread in order to meet his physical needs. He'd been fasting for 40 days. He tempted Jesus to test God's love for him by jumping off the pinnacle of the temple to see if some angels would catch him. He tempted Jesus to turn away from his father to gain all the wealth and the power and the glory of the world. But to every temptation, Jesus said, no. And what Jesus was doing in the wilderness was placing his life in the hands of God. In essence, Jesus was praying, Father, I place my life in your hands. He was saying, God, I'm going to live my life your way and for your glory and according to your will. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus' life was a reflection of God's life. His life was a reflection of God's love and mercy. And nowhere was that more clearly seen than in the work and life of Jesus during the 24 hours leading up to this final prayer. Let me suggest to you tonight four ways in which Jesus demonstrated the life of God in him. First, on the evening before his death, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He took the role of a household servant and willingly washed the dirty, smelly feet of his friends. And what the hands of Jesus are doing here is a reflection of God's hands. God picks us up out of the muck and the mire of our lives, and he cleans us off. Look at Psalm 40, 1 through 3. The psalmist said, I waited and I waited and I waited for God. And at last he looked. Finally, he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch, pulled me from the deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. That's what God does. He picks us up out of the muck and the mire of our sin and, and he lifts us and cleanses us. And so Jesus' hands are reflecting the hands of God. Secondly, then, he says that they are also setting for us an example. Jesus said in John 13, 15, I have set for you an example that you should do as I do. Jesus washed the disciples' feet to show them how he wanted them to serve and love each other. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples to show us, show us how he wants us to serve and love each other using our hands and every gift at our disposal. So here's a question you can ask yourself. Who are the people who need my hands tonight to lift them up? Who needs my hands to help clean them off? Who needs my love to help them know the value and the worth that God sees in them? Jesus didn't just wash the disciples' feet that night. He went on to serve those disciples the Passover meal and offer them the bread and the cup. Jesus' hands lifted up the bread and the cup and shared them with his friends. And so Jesus calls us to remember him when we do Holy Communion. It is a call to actually live out his life. 
The word remember doesn't just mean, you know, think about what Jesus did and recalled in our minds. Uh, It means to literally attach ourselves to Jesus and to live the way he lived. And while we most often think about Holy Communion as an opportunity to receive the grace and the mercy of God, which it is, it is also a meal when we commit ourselves once again to following the example of Jesus. And when we receive from the hands of Jesus the bread and the cup, we are making a statement that we're going to allow our hands to serve those who are hungry and thirsty. And But the challenge is, will we allow our hands in our lives to do that? Will we give to those who are in need? Will we give to those who are thirsty? You know what gets me excited is um, a lot of folks in this congregation and community who are committed to feeding the hungry in Clinton County through our food pantry. You know, it's not just us. It's a partnership with other churches in this community, with the schools, with the police agencies who all contribute, so many others who see the need and help us to fulfill that need. I know there are others in the community who collect clothing and are helping to provide for the basic needs of families who are struggling. Still others are building homes in Haiti or serving on one of our mission teams in Puerto Rico or Kentucky or a variety of other places around this country. See, God has given us the ability and the desire to reach out and to help people and to put our hands to work. It might mean giving money. It might mean getting personally involved. I don't know how God is calling you to use your hands to provide for those in need, but I hope that you're going to be willing and are willing to do something. I hope that we can continue to hear the cry of those who are in need, both in this community and around the world. Now third, after Jesus served the Passover meal, he and the disciples came together in prayer. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that the cup of suffering might pass from him. He knew that he was being betrayed and that a trial was coming. Jesus knew that he would be condemned to die, and so he asked God if there was just any other possible way. Jesus reached out to God and pleaded for another way, any other way. But in the end, his hands were raised in surrender. He submitted to God's will and purpose. But once again, what we see is that Jesus wasn't just praying, he was setting an example for us. Jesus specifically asked his disciples to pray with him. He wanted them lifting their hearts to God with him and for him. He wanted them to watch and pray with him, and Jesus still wants us to be committed to prayer. Jesus wants us to pray for those things that break the heart of God to pray for those who are weak and in need, for those who are hopeless and living in despair. God wants us to pray for the strength to help change our world. But ultimately, God wants us to submit our lives to his will and his purpose. To pray your will be done means that we are willing to offer up our will to God. That means we have to let go of our will, our desires, our need to be in control so that we can take up God's will, and that's a difficult prayer. But it is a prayer that Jesus calls us to pray, not my will, but your will be done.
And then fourth and finally, the last thing we see are the hands of Jesus carrying a cross. Jesus takes his hands and he picks up the hard and splintered wood of the cross and he carries it to Golgotha. And once they arrive at the place called the skull, Jesus' hands were then laid out on that cross and nails were driven in. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave everything he had, not for his own well-being, but for the life and the salvation of others. And again, Jesus not only reflected the will of God, but he set an example for us. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up a cross. If we want to follow Jesus, then we have to be willing to give and to sacrifice and serve and reach out to others in an all-out effort to bring hope and life and salvation. The hands of Jesus in the last 24 hours reveal to us the nature of the hands of God. They lift us up and wash us clean. They serve us and offer us food and water. They pray for us and even die for us so that we might be forgiven and so that we might live forever. Those are the hands of God reflected in Jesus. And when Jesus commits his hands into the hands of God, he is saying to all of us, this is the way to live your life. This is the example that I've set before you. Specifically, Jesus is saying this again to us tonight. Three of the four stories we heard tonight about the hands of Jesus took place only within the context of his time with the disciples. Jesus only washed the disciples' feet. He only served the disciples the bread and the, and the cup. And he only prayed with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. So when Jesus says that these are to be an example for us, he was talking first and foremost to the disciples, but then he's talking to us. And these final words of Jesus aren't just a prayer that Jesus may have learned as a child. It's not just a quotation of scripture, not just a final reminder that Jesus placed his entire life faithfully into the hands of God. It is also a call for us as followers of Jesus to place our hearts and lives and the work of our hands daily into the hands of God. So I would invite you to do that tonight. Commit your heart and your life to God. Commit your hands to the work of Jesus and pray this simple prayer of commitment as you do. Father, I place my life in your hands.